This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 12 of the Healthy Critters Radio on the Horse Radio Network. Healthy Critters Radio is brought to you by Biostar US. You can find them online at biostarus.com. On today's show, we have massage therapist Amy Seal. We introduce our new segment, Tigopedia. Critter Nutrition covers foods for comfort. And in the coffee clutch, we will discuss halters, lead ropes, dog collars, and leads. Tigger Montague. And this is Patty Perucci, and you're listening to Healthy Critters Radio on the Horse Radio Network. We have such a show today. Uh, I'm uh, so glad you made it, Patty P, because with all the flooding in Houston, I was wondering maybe you'd only be able to get to the radio by, you know, boat or canoe or... Well, you know, I'll tell you, it's... um, It actually just started raining again, which is going to be a huge cause of concern. Um, It has been... Uh, pretty devastating. Um, you know, Tigger, I know that you've been keeping up on Facebook and also the news, but um, up until even late last night, there were um, creeks just still um, rising and horses being evacuated. And it's been, we, we live 40 minutes away from the barn and headed out today. It was bright and sunny and uh, um, the the waters were still rising. So it's been it's been a bit of a thing. And you know, the next couple of days are going to prove to be um concerning as well. So we're just keeping prayers for all those people that have had to go through lots of stuff and um, horses being um, in, you know, floodwaters, some, you know, well above their chest in their fields and whatnot. So it's been scary. That is scary. Yeah. The good news is, is that you can put, put those fears aside for a bit and uh, yes, listen to our, our show today because we've got, which everybody in Houston probably needs is a good massage therapist now. I know. And um, we have the best one there is that Texas has to offer, Amy Seal. Amy. Yep. Yep. And she's, she's and we're going to talk about foods for, for comfort. Yep. And of course we have our new segment, which is probably going to be my favorite segment for several reasons. One, because I came up with it. And two, <laughs> um, <laughs> Tigopedia, where we're going to ask um, you questions about um, Whole Foods, and it can be, you know, horses, dogs, whatever, but um, that's going to be a good segment as well. And Jennifer is going to join us for Coffee Clutch. Which we love. Because halters and collars and leashes, oh my. Oh my. Um, (laughs) Oh my. (laughs) That's, uh, it's quite a big topic when you think about it. It is. It's a very big topic. And I I love me a Wizard of Oz Oz (laughs) reference. (laughs) And Hedwig goes grocery shopping. So it's quite a show. Oh boy. Stay tuned. So we're here with my very good friend, Amy Seal, who is, um, I guess by title, I'm going to call you a massage therapist. Is there a different title for this, Amy, than that I'm unaware of? That is the best title for me. Okay. Best title. Mm-hmm. Massage guru. Um, and Tigger, you, you know Amy as well. I do. I do. Yes, we do. And your connection is through Heidi. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, I, 
you know, Amy, I, I of course love you for many different reasons. Um, but, um, I have, uh, gotten to for know you from our listeners. Let's not list all those. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Darn it. You said I was allowed to have a little fun. Um, you did promise me a rather large engagement ring one day. Yes, I did. Oh my gosh. That's true. <laughs> Good point, Amy. I, um, as you know, Tigger, um, my neck can get a little tight at times and Amy did magic, magic things. And I think I, I think a, I asked her to marry her and I also promised her a very large rock, um, which brings us (laughs) to, um, the whole point of wanting to speak with you is, um, for obviously many different reasons for people and for horses, uh, you make people's lives a lot better. And, um, for myself, uh, obviously being a rider and keeping myself, trying to keep myself in tune and feeling good. What do you think are the major benefits for our horses and even our dogs for massage therapy? I think the number one benefit is having somebody with some knowledge working on your horse on a regular basis. So you can hopefully stay ahead of the curve on some of the bigger issues, right? Like saddle fit issues and, um, training issues and things like that. A lot of times if I'm working on them regularly, I feel like I can say, yep, I think you're beginning to have an issue with this or you're beginning to have an issue with that and maybe save some time and some distress for the animal, the horse, the dog, whichever, whoever you're working on. And also for the training program for the, for the animal. Right. Does that, so, that make sense? Yeah, of course. And so what's interesting for me is how I obviously got to know you is coming to Houston and you um, always being uh, a a presence there at horse shows, which Mm -hmm. I thought was awesome because I don't know. I mean, I think we've probably had that um, in our region, Tigger, but it wasn't. I mean, Amy comes with a a big trailer and you can go into the trailer. It's air conditioned or heated if you need it. And there's a Mm -hmm. quite adorable, large white Pyrenees that really welcomes you. Or not. And um, tour is quite a great process of you laying on the table. But um, what's so fascinating to me is that you're so widely used at horse shows. And my question to you is, is this normal clients that want you at the horse shows? And what would be the benefit of that? And are there other people that are using you that aren't your normal clients at horse shows? I would say probably 75% of the people I see at horse shows are regular clients. Um, I was some, some of the horses benefit from being worked on, you know, like the Friday they get there. Sometimes it's right before they ride. Sometimes it's after they ride on Saturday for Sunday. It depends on the horse and the situation. Mm-hmm. Um, the people I find a lot of times are when you ride at home and when you train at home, you don't load and unload your horse trailer and set right. up at a show and drag stuff oh, for however far you drag it. Right. And, and I think that's how I end up. That's, one of the major things that I help people with at horse shows, also people like yourself who have some chronic issues, sometimes you just happen to have a flare-up when you're at a horse show, and it would be a whole lot easier to ride and a lot more productive if you didn't have to feel that way. Which obviously benefits the horses if the, if the rider exactly. is riding well. Um, yeah. What do you find at horse shows to be the most prominent thing? Because obviously a lot of people like to keep their horses out, and they go to the horse shows, and they end up keeping them in stalls. What is the biggest benefit of having your horse massaged while you're at a horse show? And when do you recommend? Do you recommend the Friday when you get there or the Saturday after you've competed and they've been in the stall? It certainly depends on the horse. If I know the horse from, you know, if the horse is a regular client of mine, then I can kind of say, 
if he's more of a nervous type, more than likely, if you got a big, you know, big class on Saturday, let's work on him on Saturday morning before you go. So he's as relaxed in his body and his brain as he can be. Right. Um, that's certainly, in some horses, it makes him a little more lethargic. So if you have a little bit of a lethargic horse, then after your classes on Saturday for the Sunday ride, because it's been a long weekend, is a better choice. Um, okay. A lot of a lot of times the trailer ride is an issue. A lot of horses do not, in my opinion, do not haul as well in a slant load trailer as they do in a straight yeah, load trailer. Yeah, like we saw with my one client from San Antonio. Exactly. Right. Okay. So you, you can end up with some neck issues and and things like that from horses that don't theoretically, in their mind, fit in the trailer as well as they want to. Despite mm-hmm. it might be the perfect size for them, they just can't stand the way they want to. Right. And I also feel like they stand on the diagonal a lot and load one front foot and one hind foot as they stand in a slant load, which can create some problems too. Interesting. So, and then of course being in a stall all weekend, yes, some of them are not used to that. And um, but mostly, it's usually my biggest client base of horses are the ones that need to be settled down just a tiny bit, okay. so they can do their job well. So, do you is that a normal protocol that you do, or is each horse different mm-hmm. that in in that? It can be, it's pretty much, there's a similar thing that I always, always bring the same essential oils. When somebody says, my horse is upset, can you come see him? I always pick the same essential oils out of my box of essential oils. And then I take those and I use them in the shavings and I use them on the horses. And then there is certainly a different way of working with them when you're looking to, to calm the whole horse down mentally, physically, emotionally, than if you're in there to fix the neck that came out of the trailer and it won't bend one direction. Right. So it is a little bit different protocol. It's probably not the same, um, corrective type work. It's not the same corrective type work I do for issues with straightness or suppleness or, um, you know, unevenness in horses that I see on a regular basis. Is that something that you would try to address? Um, and I keep going back to the horse shows, but we can move on from that. But is that something that you would address at a horse show? I mean, if you find something major and you know someone's going in, um, you know, for a class, is that Mm -hmm. something you go really delve into or do you go lightly about it? It, I have a really in-depth conversation with whoever's riding the horse. Okay. And if you really, you know, if, if your horse can't look left and you've got to go in and you can't get any left bend, certainly... It's better to try and have the horse um, have a different reaction to the work and be a little bit different for the rider than to not try at all. That's what I generally tell people. If you paid okay. a lot of money to come here, and if you've got a problem that's going to preclude you from actually going in the ring and having a good ride and the horse having a good trip, then certainly it's worth a try to work on it and see how it goes. Right. You know, okay. um, and it really does, and some people say no, and that's a ter- totally their choice because it's their horse. If they don't feel like making a big change in some, in the horse's body at a horse show is a, is a good idea, then you have to respect it and let them, right. you know, and, and let the horse be. But a lot of times it goes well, more often than not. So that leads me to my, to my next question. When you're doing Mm -hmm. your regular, um, you have a Facebook page called, um, Mm -hmm. where's Amy seal, which is just, I always just thought it was so funny. (laughs) I did. I just thought it would remind me of, you know, finding Waldo. Um, that's where, that's where it came from. Okay. Tigger, do you remember those? They were, they were, I do, but they were always so funny. Um, (laughs) 
but that's where you, you know you can find Amy Seal on Facebook. And sometimes I think they lie. But anyway, um, <laughs> <laughs> not often. Yeah, <laughs> not on purpose. <laughs> so, um, what do you find um, is probably your the biggest benefit for somebody to use a massage therapist? day in and day out, like say monthly, because I know you come each, mm-hmm. you, you go places monthly. Um, what do you find, you know, how do I, how do I um, explain to my clients the benefit of spending that money um, when they won't, pr- you know, per se, even get a massage for themselves? What do you feel is the biggest benefit that you can tell somebody? I think that massage therapy for horses really helps them maintain the proper um, biomechanics in their body mm-hmm. and proper biomechanics in the body relieve some of the wear and tear on the joints and the leg because they're using the big muscles correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, and as, and the, the longevity of the horses, especially in dressage is a big deal. We would like to have that partner for as long as possible. Right. And we would like to move up through the level. So if the horse uses his body as best as he can, most of the time, then you're going to have less problems with the joints and with tendons and issues right. like that with a horse. So I think that's the biggest benefit and also having somebody else who knows your horse's body. Sometimes I feel like I know the horse's body better than the people who ride them. Right. And that's always the impression someone, I get. Yeah. Yeah. And having someone who knows that kind of stuff and goes, wow, he's a little different here or there. And then you start to look for the reason before you have a really big problem. Mm-hmm. That to me is one of those things I found in hindsight was one of the better gifts of this is that you can kind of catch something before it becomes a giant problem. A big, a big deal. So what is the, what is the biggest issue you find in dressage horses? Do you, is there a common thread of the, the biggest soreness addresser? Saddle fit, of course, is the, is the bane of our existence as dressage riders for a lot of the time, you know? Right. Right. It changes as the horse's back changes. So saddle fit is a big deal. Um, I find that depending on the training program, there can be some neck issues, jaw issues, pole issues from different training styles. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the, you know, then there's the whole package of, to me, it's a little bit like you're kind of monitoring, um, as the rider, trainer, owner of the horse, you're monitoring what the farrier's doing, what the dentist is doing, what the you know, what all those people that work for you are doing. And sometimes the body worker has kind of an idea of where those things are coming from when they work on the horse. Mm-hmm. And you can maybe say, you know, maybe maybe this dentist is really great, but maybe somebody else should look in the horse's mouth and see if they see something different. Or, That's a good point. you know, the pole is, is a little tight on this one. Maybe we should find a chiropractor who specializes in that kind of stuff more than your person, who is probably a really good person. Just sometimes right. you need a second opinion or a second point of view to help. So, so get, it's sort of like you get to be a baseline of just sort of you, 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 you're getting your hands mm-hmm. on the horse, um, yeah. and being able to, to, mm-hmm. to be a voice for the horse, kind of communicate yeah. back to the, the trainers and the riders, um, and what you feel. And most of the work that I do now is more working with, I mean, you can't touch them without working on the muscles and the nerves and all that good stuff too, but keeping the fascia functioning at a good level, which is really important the horse to have the proper range of motion right in all the joints and through its body and that's most of the work that I do is on that plane now 
and that keeps them feeling like the sweater that they're living in is the right size. Right. Well, I love it when my fashion is working well. Tigger, do you like it when yours? <laughs> I love so it when mine is. is these days. <laughs> well, maybe you need a massage. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> um, so the other question I wanted to ask you was, you know, and I don't know how often this happens. I know that you know, I've, I've had a couple horses come into my barn and you're like, Oh, I knew this horse from before. Um, mm-hmm. one horse we both, uh, you know, know was, was purchased, I guess, um, out of Dallas and then went back, um, to the UK and came back. Um, so yeah. you sort of knew that horse, but my question is, do you get the opportunity to see horses that get sold to different riders? And then do you start to experience different issues on that horse? Yes. Every rider, whether it's the trainer or the owner, whoever the primary person that sits on that horse, mm-hmm. it's like finger. It's a little bit like fingerprints, right? Everyone creates a little different horse. Like a, like some trainers are really good at. It's, everybody has the thing that they're really gifted at, mm-hmm. and so you can you can actually feel the trainer or the rider if, if it's the owner put their influence into that horse's body. Interesting. And if the trainer had, or in one instance, a long time ago, I had a trainer with a lot of neck issues, and her SEI horse had a really stiff neck. Mm-hmm. She bought a young horse, and he had a really soft neck until she'd been riding him for a while. So it's very much interesting. direct influence. And, and there was no intent on her part to do sure. that. Because she has limited motion there. But she was kind of creating that in the horses, too, to the same extent. So that and really ties the the horse and the rider and you back in to the exactly. Okay. Mm-hmm. And she's the reason I went back and got my license to work on people. She kept bothering me to work on her when I was at the farm. And I kept telling her I don't have a license to do that. And she said, I don't care. <laughs> so she was proud. I went Sounds back like and me. Got I didn't yes. do that, did I? <laughs> no, but she was very adamant that I go back and work on people, and it, it occurred to me that most trainers don't have the time to leave their property or where they're working to go get worked on. If I came right. and showed up and was willing to stand there and wait for them, then they'll get on the table and let me help them. Yeah. You know, and you guys have a totally different set of issues than the person who has a desk job all day and wants to come out and ride in the evenings and wants to do really well. It's a totally right. different set of physical issues. Right. Right. Yeah. And it is directly related to the horses. Yeah. Mm. I mean, it, it is so interesting. I, uh, years ago I had bought a young horse that the owner, um, that I was the breeder and she had brought up until he was three and, um, had asked if I would, um, and he was a little bit of a, um, I don't want to say spooky horse, but he was, he he would always question people that would come in the, the stall. Mm-hmm. And so she said, you know, do you mind until he gets settled in his new place? I mean, you know, just kind of keep doing this because it just helps him accept new people. Mm-hmm. And if somebody knows it's in a new place, blah, blah, blah. Anyway. Um, and, um, so she had worked on the horse for, you know, up until he was four and then I bought him and she said it was so interesting after I had him even for six weeks, the different groups of muscles that were sore and not that it was good or bad. Mm-hmm. It was just, it's so, and you know, this is a, a you know, it was a training level horse, you know, and how much mm-hmm. um, a different rider and a different saddle affected the horse yeah. and how we just go along. And, you know, for the longest time, I mean, Tigger, I don't remember ever really. Um, I mean, I think the first person that ever even massaged my horses was Sal from Florida. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I don't, I never really, you know, up until what, about 15 years ago, it wasn't a real big thing with us, was it? No. Yeah. 
I mean, Tigger, did you ever get your horses? I mean, when we were in Florida 20 years ago, I don't remember that this being such an important part. Do you? Um, no, I think it was in its early 20 years ago, massage for the horses was kind of in its early phases, if you will. Yeah. Just like acupuncture and chiropractics were. Mm -hmm. Right. In fact, some people thought that it was, you know, really. Craziness. Yes. (laughs) And now it's more, especially for a performance horse, it's more unusual that the horse not have regular massage therapy. Right. Yes, it is. So I think it's come, it's become pretty accepted. Yeah. It, It has in my time here in Texas, for sure. Oh, yeah. Well, I think that, like I said, when I when I got here and had started coming to the shows, and I saw what a presence, and I think you know, there, there's there's always been a little bit of a presence um, everywhere I've gone, but it, it seems to be that a lot of people are very conscientious about doing that, um, taking care of their horses this way. Um, and I, like I said, the the unique factor is that you you'll go to a horse show. I mean, you're at every horse show, and you mm-hmm. can take care of the horses and the rider. So. How did, what got you into this? What, what made you want it? I mean, did you wake up one day and say, gee, this is what I want to do for a living? I bred and a big horse and of course, Tigger has never met me and knows that big horses should not be in my life. Right. Um, she's tiny. He was, dif- he was difficult and I had gone, I used to train with Meg Fleming, whom I don't know if you guys know her. She's was big part, big, big in Texas for a long time. Right, and she moved to Austin, and I went over there bemoaning my riding. I just chunked him in the trailer, and he was. We were having big problems. I went over there, and I met a young lady, not much older than me, who who was who had already been to massage therapy school to work on horses. And Meg said, "You should let her work on your horse." And I said, "Well, okay. I mean, I'll try anything right now. You know how you are when you're having problems." Right. And I stood there with her for three days. I was there for the whole weekend, and she worked on him every day, and. Of course, it didn't make much difference in that horse because the issue was ultimately the saddle that someone had sold me that they swore was working that I didn't know enough to know better. Right. Um, but in hindsight, she said to me the third day, she said, you know, you could do this. And I went, I am way too scientific to be this this um, touchy-feely person, you know. Right. Oh, that's so funny. And so on my drive home, I really thought about it. And I thought, you know, I really haven't found what are my true calling in life. I might as well try this. I mean, I can touch horses and make money, which is great. Right. Because I loved horses. And I knew that I'm not brave enough to really be a horse trainer, you know, to be, a, to have to go through the ranks to become a good horse trainer. Right. So I went like four weeks later to Equisage in Virginia and haven't looked oh, back wow. since. That's awesome. The, the first horse I went to work on, I went the second time in one week to work on him and he pulled poked his head out the window and was whinnying at me from three blocks away. Wow. So I'm like, wow. you know what? I think I, I can do like this. <laughs> I can do this. Yeah, I think I can do this. <laughs> yeah. Well, I am certainly glad that you're doing it because you have helped me and many of my clients' horses and my own horses very much. And I, um, I just, I think this is, it's just been, like I said, a fascinating thing for me to learn more about. And I so appreciate you taking the time to explain all this to us. And, um, and if we want to try to find you, we just go on Facebook. Where is Amy Seal? <laughs> Where's Amy Seal? Yep. And you can find me there. And you can also go to my Facebook page for my personal Facebook page, which is under my full name, Amy Goodman Seal. Right. And my phone number is there. So then you can find me from there. It's awesome. pretty simple. Well, yeah. awesome. Well, thank you for taking the time. Thanks, out. Amy. You're and welcome, Tigger. 
And I'll be seeing you at the horse show soon. And oh, by the way, I need a fix. Sound a little under the weather. Well, to be honest, we've had quite a long day, and we're not home yet. Oh, oh we're, dear. Where are you? We're waiting to vote. Yes, to do our democratic duty. I want to ask you about your um, your views and opinions on food shopping at grocery stores. Oh well, of course I can certainly talk to you about that now. You may remember from living with my human slave that she's basically crap at most domestic tasks, um, except cleaning up after me. She's pretty good at that because she gets a lot of practice. Yep, lots of practice. But in the case of cookery, for example, unless she's feeling inspired, like by your birthday or something, she is not going to make food. And as a result, she rarely shops for food. The only thing you will ever find in our refrigerator on a reliable basis is uh, club soda and pickles. And I hate pickles. (laughs) But you went to a grocery store recently. Oh, well, I'm just getting into this. So, as you may recall, we also have another person who lives with us on weekends. I call her other. And she lives with us on weekends, and she likes food a lot. And unlike my human servant she is not a vegetarian and so there is the prospect of nice food when she comes like bacon or chicken or sausage or bacon or chicken or sausage or or cheese and so my human servant who has many limitations was told upon returning from florida that she had better try to be slightly more domesticated because she came home feral and so she was attempting to responsibly stock the home with groceries. And so we went first to a, well, and there was a time problem, a crunch, as it were, because of some horse-related things. So we were running a little late. And so we tried to shop for dinner at a convenience store, but that was not rewarding. But my human did get frozen french fries, which she put in her car with me and then she drove to the grocery store where she was going to find other things like vegetables as though those are food I don't even know what she's thinking but whatever and she went to the grocery store and she went in the grocery store and when she came out I had opened the french fries and eaten some of them because I was starving as you can assume a small dog left in a car for eight or ten years would be And do you know what she came out with? Uh I mean, she came out with many sacks in her hands, and I was optimistic. I tell you, my optimism springs eternal. But so there I was, ready to be happy and, you know, feeling marginally pleased with my french fry snack. And 
she had a bag of marshmallows right at the top. And I just dove right in because if there's one thing I love, it's a marshmallow. I just ripped that bag right open and took one in my mouth and I was eating it. And she yelled at me. <laughs> she yelled Did at she you. she not purchase them for me? She doesn't know how to do something with a marshmallow. With my marshmallow. And then I was digging through the sack again because, you know, she yelled at me about the marshmallow. And I found a nice stack of teeth. And I, I just dove right in with enthusiasm because, as far as I could tell, I was being rewarded for my investigations. And so I just went right to town. Yes, right to town. I opened that bag of teeth and I ate a probably a lot of it. I mean, in retrospect, maybe more than my share, but my sister did help. And uh, so when she came back from returning the cart to the store, she found the open french fry bag and she was all little deep. And then she <laughs> found the marshmallow bag. Oh, no. And she, she was uh, a little peeved because in the process of opening it, I might have chewed a few other marshmallows than the one I ate. <laughs> and by one, I mean half a bag. And then she found the teeth. Now, I don't know how she found that part because I had hidden it well between the feet. But she did find it. And then she was pretty annoyed. And all of this is to say... If she had just taken me in with her, <laughs> it all would have been fine. I, I, I would like, not have had these issues. I would like to make a comment. I think that your servant should run for president. <laughs> I think your servant sounds pretty awesome. <laughs> Sorry, Why? Honey. Because of her dietary choices, which uh, involves just, tremendous amounts of sugar? I just think she sounds awesome. <laughs> Everybody would be happier. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Marshmallows for everybody. Yeah, that's right. In every okay. household, there should be a bag of marshmallows. That is true. They are the perfect With food. chocolate and graham crackers. Oh, right. Hannah loves s'mores. It's oh. a platform, ladies. Marshmallows it's, for everybody. Well, <laughs> it is a platform. Must we raise the chocolate issue again? Oh, good point. Tigger. Oh, yeah, I forgot that, Hetty. Tigger. I'm sorry. Do you want me to die? Read the directions, Tigger. <laughs> well, you, you, what you guys don't know, something that I know, is that Hetty actually got into gum and lived. Oh, that was just last week. I ate a whole pack. Oh, boy. Nope. You know but what? it wasn't sugarless, so it turned out it was okay. We were visiting a veterinarian at the time because we were, well, the servant was teaching her dressage or something and so when she came back to the car and the packet of gum was strangely empty and there were wrappers everywhere <laughs> she picked and i might have had bits of blue in my rough she <laughs> picked me up and dragged me over inappropriately may i say manhandling my personage to the veterinarian shrieking like a banshee and was screaming and the veterinarian said was it sugarless in a completely calm tone of voice and the slave said no it was not it was just low calorie but it it did have sugar in it and she said was it caffeinated because she knows my servant well? And the servant <laughs> said, for once, 
know <laughs> she had purchased the non-caffeinated version, which just parenthetically was stupid since we got up at three o'clock in the morning to give that clinic, but whatever, I slept the whole way. So anyway, as it turns out, if you eat non-sugarless, non-caffeinated gum, you're fine. <laughs> okay. And there you have it. Good to know, Hattie. Well, I'm, I'm very glad you voted and, um, we, we look forward to the election results from New York and, um, We'll talk to you at the next episode, and uh, maybe I'll send you a care package of marshmallows, cheese, and gum. Oh, there you go. Well, I would look forward to that very much. Thank you. I'm going to send your sermon snack. care package. <laughs> yeah. Do not I'm give her send any... your servant, and I'll send it to you. Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, whatever. She doesn't need anything. She's perfectly fine. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I think she needs okay, Eddie, I... take care of yourself. <laughs> Bye-bye. So now is time for our new segment, which we are going to do uh, once a month in uh, with um, my dear friend Tigger, I have been wanting to put her up on the block, so to speak, and we're going to call this section Tigopedia. I have, in many conversations with Tigger, have often said, Tigs, there's so many questions I ask you on a daily basis that we talk about about our horses or our dogs that we just commonly have conversations about that I think that a lot of our listeners want to know. So Tigger reluctantly said yes. So... <laughs> As particular ball and chain across the floor. <laughs> well, and I appreciate it because this to me is going to be and continually helpful for the listeners, but also just, you know, questions that um, are, are nothing to you that just seem like very basic, easy things. And, and per your request, I did not uh, tell you what I wanted to ask you. And it's going to be actually simple, but not simple. Uh, I think the number one question that I always get that I try to do my best to answer is how to implement, how to start a whole food program with your basic performance horse. So I'm going to say, Tigger, I'm calling you about one of my clients. She rides five times a week. She's a moderately good rider. Her horse has been on Ultium, and I need to put him on a program, and he's a quarter horse thoroughbred. Go. What level? Um, uh, solid training, but working first and second. Okay. What kind of energy requirements does he have? Does he need more energy, or is his energy good? Energy's good. Okay. Um, how much Ultium is he getting per feeding? He is getting... Uh, three half scoops of Ultium, a two quart scoop, so three quarts a day, plus. So, so uh, one three times a day. Yeah, one quart three times a day. Okay. So, what I use, what the horse is already getting, as the beginning, the starting point for the whole food diet. So, um, for a horse working five days a week, I would start based on that one quart that he's already getting, mm -hmm. I would go with half a quart of alfalfa pellets. Okay. 
providing him protein, all the essential amino acids, and high calcium, which is extremely important for the ulcer-sensitive horse. Okay. Um, I would add some omega-3s, either flax or chia. Okay. usually recommend starting at a quarter of a cup per feeding. Okay. If there's no energy requirement, but we need to put on a little bit more top line, Mm-hmm. Then I would add something like coconut meal, Cool Stance. Okay, it's a medium chain fat, so it's used as muscle and organ energy. It's twenty percent protein. Okay, and I would probably start with oh a quarter to a half a cup, depending okay. on the horse. All right, and a multivitamin mineral like Optimum. Okay. And if it's a quarter horse thoroughbred, you could add some oats. The thoroughbreds do really well with carbohydrate grains, but okay. maybe it's only going to be half a cup or a cup. Okay. And um, so um, going back, I just want to ask a question about the flaxseed and the chia. What makes you choose? Let, let's okay, say this so person's a- in a boarding barn and chia is not going to be available so they want to use flax. Yeah. What's the advantage of uh, chia over flax? Chia is higher in omega-3s. It's higher in proline, which is the major constituent of collagen. Okay. Great for you know, healing connective tissue. And because it's so mucilogenic, it slows the digestion of carbohydrates. Okay. So it's really good for the easy keepers, um, really good for the metabolic horses. And it's good for horses that live in places like Florida, Texas, Arizona, California, the where when they're out eating, they're picking up, you know, sand and grit and stuff. Right. And a lot of people would feed psyllium and uh, chia is a much better option. Okay. So it does a lot of different things. Okay. Um, okay. So... So you've given me my diet for my horse, but this, this person, and I know this is a big question for you, um, all the time, cause we both have gotten this. When I run my own barn, this isn't an issue, but if I'm at a boarding facility, obviously this is something that has to be wet, correct? It does not have to be wet. Cool stance doesn't I, have to be? No. Oh, Ideally, horses feed should be wet. Doesn't mean soaked. You literally just put the food in a bucket, squirt water, and it feed it. Okay. Um, horses get that live out, and um, they're getting a lot of moisture from the grass. Okay. And the advantage of a food that's already wet is you're not pulling moisture from the GI tract. Okay. The challenge in a boarding barn is as soon as you say wet, they think soaked. Right. And, you know, that's time-consuming, and in a lot of boarding barns, that's – too time consuming. Right. But just squirting water in it so that you can, you know, mix it all together and give to the horse, it takes, you know, 10 seconds. Right. So but you can feed alfalfa pellets, Timothy pellets, cool stance, renew gold, dry, and okay. chia and flax. It has to have some, because the chia or the flax does benefit from the moisture, right? Because it makes they it do. more emollient. They okay. Do. Um, 
Okay. So that's, and that's actually new to me. I didn't realize that because obviously um, when we really first started doing this, we were playing a lot more with B pulp. Uh-huh. And so B pulp isn't, um, isn't, uh, is, isn't nearly as big of a uh, factor as it used to be. Um, and no, ha- there's some real issues with beet pulp. Um, it, the, the, the protein is so low at 8%. Um, most, you know, sport horses, they're constantly breaking down protein and need to rebuild protein and build muscle. And at 8% protein, you are not going to be able to do that. Even with um, the, so the alfalfa? It, it, again, if you've got 8% of uh, beet pulp and 15% alfalfa, in you're, if you're feeding both in equal amounts, now you're going to come in at, what, 10 and a half? Right, right. 11. We're finding that horses need higher protein, specifically the right kind of protein, which includes the branch chain amino acids, which beet pulp doesn't have. Okay. But it's a wonderful source of fiber. There are lots of times to use beet pulp. However, horses that become non-sweaters should not have beet pulp okay. at all. Which is very interesting because I learned that last year with a couple horses that weren't sweating. And I didn't – what is it about the bee pulp that's not making them sweat? We don't know. Okay. Fair enough. Okay. <laughs> well, okay. Check that off. Don't know. Move on. Because I, I hadn't known that. I had um, this one horse that we called you about um, last year. It's a little Pierre gelding, and he was truly cushionoid and also real – you know, um, definitely a, a more um, – you could you could look at that horse and just go, oh, that horse is an insulin resistance. He's just kind of bulkier and had the fatty pads, and um, and he became a non-sweater, which is very interesting to me. Um, so because my my understanding always was, you know, you had to have the calcium and the phosphorus ratio. But if you're doing the cool stance, that takes care of that, right? That gives that gives you the phosphorus, and the alfalfa gives you the calcium. Okay, and you need the calcium. You need the phosphorus for the calcium to build a bind. Is that correct? Well, you need it in a ratio. Okay. You know, two to one calcium to phosphorus. It's like calcium and magnesium is two to one. Okay. Okay. But generally, I'm going to say this on average, phosphorus is pretty readily available in hay and forage. Okay. So choosing to to feed cool stance because of phosphorus would not be enough reason for me to feed cool stance. Okay. I feed cool stance because I love coconut as a source of fat and I, I like a little higher protein and a little higher fiber. So you okay. get more out of cool stance than you do out of beet pulp for okay. sure. Okay. Okay. All right. So, so, so now we have, um, our, our horse, um, we're going to call him Bob and Bob's now on his new diet. How long does it, would you recommend somebody to switch over from, um, a prepared food like the Ultium um, onto his new diet? I generally take two weeks. Two weeks. Okay. Why is that? Um, because I'm conservative. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Tigger. <laughs> I, mean, I, mean, I mean, not really, of course, not politically, but um, in, in feeding, if I have a really sick horse, I mean, a horse that is really, really sick, I'll change them that day. Okay. But for most horses that are going to do a transition from commercial feed to whole food, um, I, I do two weeks. And it begins with cutting the commercial feed in half. Okay. 
and adding half the whole food diet okay. for the first week. The second week, they get a handful of the commercial feed and all the whole food. And this has been, this has worked really, really well. Okay. Uh, and it also, most importantly, it makes the owners feel more comfortable. Sure. Yeah, I, I've always taken, I've always tried seven days um, and really taken my time. But I do find that, um, it, you know, taking your time does make the owner feel better. And it also helps the horse because I have found that if you're feeding the McDonald's and you're going to offer them, you know, um, Brussels sprouts, sometimes they back off of that. Um, oh, yeah, they go, I'm not eating this. Right. And I, I just recently was switching some horses over and the um, man who runs a barn said, okay, these horses aren't eating. And I said, trust me, they will. You just have to let them be a little, they got to get a little hungry enough and yeah. they're going to come back and eat. And sure enough, they eat it. And that's always been, I think, one of my biggest problems in making people understand is that they are going to go through a period of time, you know, just because it's better doesn't always mean it's going to be uh, effective right away, especially if the horse doesn't want to eat it because they were eating McDonald's. It's just think about a kid. And I have found that, um, it, that part takes time. So my last question is in the process of all of this, what do you, what can an average horse expect? I mean, just, and make it a typical horse as they switch over off the, the, the prepared food to the whole diet. What, what can I tell somebody to expect it? Let's say in the first 30 days to the first 60 days. A change in their eye. Okay. The eye gets uh, oftentimes softer. Okay. Um, and and you don't realize that the eye wasn't soft until you start seeing it yeah. soft. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you'll notice a change in manure. Okay. Um, there will probably be, if there was a, a smell, as we've talked about before, yeah. it, it, it will be gone. Right. Um, you'll notice that their coat will start be being shinier mm-hmm. and they'll, they'll, they'll just be an overall healthier attitude within the horse, happier, and they're noticeably different under saddle in time. And do you think that's something that happens over time? Can people, I mean, you know, how do, how do I, how do, if I'm really trying to make my point about doing this. And I know it is going to take some time because obviously you and I both know that nothing like this generally happens overnight, but, um, what, what do you, is there an average time frame, or is every horse very much different when they start to see the full benefits of switching? The full benefits you will, mm-hmm. you, you will keep seeing. In other words, it's, it's lifelong. Right. You know, Lionheart is okay. 29 years old this year. He's, no. And there's your, there, on a, there's, yeah, enough said, there. right? <laughs> He's been on a whole food diet for 10 years. Right. And this is a horse that, you know, could send Tim Ober on a round the world cruise yearly just right. because of all his veterinary needs. Right. And that all stopped when he went to whole food. Right. Uh, I mean, none of us would have expected him to live this long with all the physical issues that he had. But, I mean, he's a perfect example. The longer they're on it, the happier they are, the healthier they are, the less right. the vet bills are. It, it's really quite profound. Right. And coconut, and the cool stance, the coconut meal, um, coconut has, um, it, it's very good for your immune system, right? 
Yes, it contains something called lauric acid, and lauric acid is supportive for the immune system. So the good news is, is that the horses with hives and allergies, you don't want to stimulate an already stimulated immune system. And that's the wonderful thing about coconut oil. It just supports the immune system without notching it up, kicking okay. it into gear. Okay. And, and doesn't it have um, anti-inflammatory um, benefits as well, coconut? Um, I don't generally... Uh, recommended as an anti-inflammatory. I think the anti-inflammatory aspect is of whole food itself. I mean, that's okay. the same with, uh, uh, you could say that about alfalfa and you could say that about flax and you could say that about chia. Real food tends not to um, overload the um, inflammatory process. Okay. Now, there are some foods that lean more in the pro-inflammatory area. But generally, whole foods have all the other components that help keep things in balance. Right. And that's the most important thing about feeding whole food. It's, it reduces stress on the GI tract, and it helps to maintain the very important homeostasis of the body. Right. And so long, long term, when you do this, uh, chances are you can really look at not having as many vet bills, say, for GI problems or even joint problems or skin problems, um, stuff like that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Well, Tigger, well done. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm certain, I, you know, every time we talk about this, like I said, just our normal conversations when I call to get advice on doing this, this is going to be, um, I think, a great uh, add-on to what we're doing because I think a lot of people have basic questions. And as we go on in our show and we talk about other things, we get away from the one thing that sort of, um, at least for our horses, that brought us here. And, of course, we can talk about this with dogs as well, but just getting um, back to – um, making a little bit more simple, maybe a little bit more effort, but just more simple. And the benefit is uh, quite immense. It's lifelong. It's lifelong. And if you have any questions you'd like to uh, us to address on Tigopedia, please go to healthycrittersradio.com. And <laughs> <laughs> sorry, brain drain. And um, please post your questions and we, we will be happy to put them on the show. As, as, as when my questions run out. And I would also like to add that Tigger will be doing a rap um, to introduce herself through the Tigopedia. We're working on that. Right, Tigs? <laughs> Welcome to Critter Nutrition. Today we're talking about feeding for the comfort zone. Whether your horse is a high-performance athlete or a younger horse in training or an older horse that is getting a little creaky, <laughs> there are times when muscle strain and inflammation flare up and we reach for the non-steroidal anti-inflammatories. Agility dogs, working dogs, dogs that played too hard at the dog park, or maybe a senior dog that is getting stiffer may need non-steroidal anti-inflammatories. There was a time when I reached for Butte without thinking. If my horse was a little sore, I gave him butte. Then we learned how butte affects the GI tract, increasing the potential for gastric ulcers or colitis, among other potential impacts on the liver and kidneys. 
there are times when medications like butanbanamine are a necessity, and thank goodness we have them. Yet there are often times we can support our horses and dogs from muscle soreness, foot syndrome, and arthritic discomfort with specific plants. These are turmeric, boswellia, and bromelain. Boswellia has been used as medicine and incense in religious and cultural ceremonies for thousands of years. It is often referred to as Indian frankincense. Boswellia is actually a tree that grows in dry mountainous regions of India, North Africa, and the Middle East. It is the resin from this tree that is used for medicine and aromatherapy. It has been said that the ancient Ayurvedic healers discovered Boswellia and its benefits by watching elephants eat the tree in the resin. Boswellia works through very different mechanisms, different than non-steroidal anti-inflammatory medicines. Most of the drugs to reduce inflammation in dogs and horses function as COX enzyme inhibitors. Boswellia works by inhibiting lipooxygenase enzymes, known as LOX, which are powerful contributors to inflammation and pain. By inhibiting LOX enzymes, Boswellia blocks leukotriene synthesis. The leukotrienes play a major role in promoting a range of diseases, including joint problems and intestinal disorders. Boswellia also can inhibit the breakdown of connective tissue by tumor necrosis factor A that is a potent inflammatory agent in the body. Turmeric. The use of turmeric dates back nearly 4,000 years to the Ayurvedic culture in India, where it was revered as holy powder. It is also known as Indian saffron. Turmeric is a product of curcuma longa. It's a rhizomatous perennial plant that belongs to the ginger family. Turmeric is derived from the roots. More than 100 components have been identified in turmeric, and chief among them is curcumin. Traditionally, turmeric has been used in Ayurveda and traditional Chinese medicine to strengthen the overall energy of the body, relieve gas, improve digestion, treat sprains and swelling, and relieve arthritis. Some South Asian countries use it as an antiseptic for cuts and burns. Modern in vitro studies reveal that turmeric is a potent antioxidant, anti-inflammatory, and antimicrobial. There are nearly 7,000 peer-reviewed scientific articles published that evaluate turmeric's effectiveness. The feedback from the research community highlights that curcumin may hold some profound healing benefits for the body. Turmeric powder needs fat for bioavailability. However, curcumin extracts from turmeric need black pepper for higher curcumin levels. The challenge with black pepper is that it can be a potent inhibitor of drug medication metabolism. It it is why that I personally prefer turmeric powder um, given with a fat source. It can be coconut oil. It can be um, camelino or hemp or any good oil source. Bromelain is a protolytic enzyme from the stem of pineapples. Indigenous to South America, the pineapple was cultivated by the Mayans and the Aztecs. Bromelain has been traditionally used as an anti-inflammatory and anti-swelling agent. In Europe, bromelain is used to reduce post-operative pain and swelling. 
The anti-inflammatory effect of bromelain comes from its ability to prevent the formation of kinins, which are potent autocoids involved in inflammatory, vascular, and pain processes. Bromelain also mediates prostaglandin levels. A review of clinical trials on bromelain showed bromelain more effective than the non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drug diclofenac in relieving arthritis and osteoarthritis pain. Bromelain is measured in GDUs, that is gelatin digesting units. Similar to the CFUs in viable probiotics, GDUs tell us how active or potent the bromelain is. Look for a minimum of 2,000 GDUs. If you don't want to go out and hunch, hunt down each individual ingredient, Biostar puts it all together in Comfort Zone Ultra EQ and Comfort Zone Ultra Canine. We use coconut oil for the fat needed by turmeric root, plus pumpkin seeds for their magnesium content for sore muscles. The supportive foods in this supplement include papayas, carrots, apples, and bananas for their antioxidant support and phytonutrient support. You can give this supplement daily, or you can give that just as as needed after a challenging school or during a show. It is especially beneficial for horses with chronic foot discomfort like foot syndrome or navicular disease. Welcome to Coffee Clutch. Patty and I are going to talk about halters and collars and leashes because we don't always agree on <laughs> no, we don't on on ways to um, restrain or guide your horse <laughs> or dog uh, around the block or out to the pasture. So um, let's begin with probably the hot topic, okay. which is. Dog collars. Ooh, okay. Contentious coffee clutch. Yes. Dun, 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 dun. And Jen's gonna Jen's gonna get in on this too. I'm just saying. <laughs> yes. So this came about because we were batting around ideas for coffee clutch and mm-hmm. um and we had already Patty, talked about poop. <laughs> <laughs> Patty brought up a collar that she thought was, you know, a, a good collar to use on a certain kind of dog at which point I nearly passed out on the couch which as something that <laughs> when used I, I would appropriately not, <laughs> I would never use. Why did so I like let's, start this? <laughs> <laughs> so um I will begin by saying that um I really do like uh the slip lead that just slips over the dog's head and you see it in vets offices a lot and the lead and the collar are one um of course patty's gonna say it's because i have australian yes. shepherds and someone's reading um, my mind thank you <laughs> they thank don't you. they don't uh they want to work with their human they don't want to drag yeah. you around the block and i know you can have but, an occasional unruly one but still <laughs> it is not it is it go ahead i'm sorry i was cutting in <laughs> but i find that it is it's easier to release no it is i agree a dog in with that kind of it's not even a collar i guess you just call it a a, a, a lead 
um, than it is for something that's a chain. It's a cleed. It's a collar and a lead. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm going to laugh about that one for a while. I think I'm going to get you one. <laughs> cleed. I have several cleeds in my car. So, Patty, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about our disagreement? Okay. Well, yeah, you have to be in where we were in this conversation. And we, I just had a conversation with a friend of mine who is doing some obedience training with her dog. And she had said, you know, I think I need to get a choke collar. And I said, if I had to choose between a choke collar and a prong collar, I always go to the prong collar. And that's when you heard on the floor. (laughs) But I'm also going to preface this by you have to understand how to use it properly as you do a regular choke collar because you can really um, bruise uh, and, and, you know, choke them with a choke collar. And a lot of people don't know how to release and let go and the dogs wild and all over the place. Now, the benefits that I found when I, um, years ago, I had some Rottweilers and some Dobermans and I was doing some Schutzen, Schutzen training. And um, that's where I really began to understand how to use it properly. Now, having said that, you have to know how to fit it. You should go to a a pet store and talk to somebody if you're going to do this. It is not something that you are going to use to completely and utterly train your dog if you haven't, if you have not already done obedience training. Um, this is, this is not, you don't want to just go buying one of these and slapping on your dog. You really do need to know what you're doing. Um, and I, you know, my recommendation is um, always seek a professional when, you know, even going to a regular choke collar. Because I've, I've seen a lot of damage with regular choke collars. The prong collars actually come with little, I don't know if you know this, ticker. they come with little plastic coverings that can go over them. And there's different size uh, prongs to it where you can, they're not nearly as um, big or you can make them smaller. But the big thing is, is putting the plastic things on them. But if you have an older person that's trying to walk a dog, that's going to pull them off their feet versus not getting them walked at all. Wouldn't you go to a prong tar- uh, collar tigger? No, <laughs> I would go, <laughs> go back. Yeah. I would go with one of those easy leads that goes around. It's not quite a harness, but it's sort of like a harness where... The ones that go on their nose? It, yeah, it looks kind of like a halter for a no. dog. No. Yeah. No, 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 no. The That's ones different. that go around their shoulder. Oh, okay. I see. I know which one you mean. It's yeah, like, it kind of hooks right in the front between um, where the where the center it, of a horse's martingale would go. Yeah. Girth. It's more like a girth. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. And it so when the dog the pulls shoulder. on it, it makes him turn. Okay, I haven't seen those. Yeah. Oh, Interesting. Okay. Oh, are they easy to put on? That's a clever are idea. They, are they easy to put on? They're, I mean, I have never myself used them because I have Australian Shepherds, so Good point. there's no need for such stuff. Right. But in 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 training classes that my, my dogs have gone to, other dogs, big dogs like German Shepherds and Rowdy Labs, they're mm-hmm. in these, um, and it's not quite a harness, but it it. The control comes from controlling the shoulders, yes. and it those dogs just don't pull right. anymore yeah. without res- resorting to something around their neck. Right, which I, I I think if you're showing dogs, you know, obviously you have to use a, a choke collar. Um, right, that's what's required. If you're not showing your dog, why would you want to cut off its breath? <laughs> well, that's, I mean, that's, yeah, I, I agree. 
And I totally agree. I mean, I hands down, I agree. I, you know, my my whole point with the prong collar is, um, I actually I find it if it's used properly is better um, use because the dog generally won't touch it. Where the other one, I've just seen dogs like, you know, when you've had labs or even some Rottweilers that that were fixed on something that you know it gets up and they just start choking on the um, on the you know the you know the old fashioned um, yeah the, choke the regular collar. choke chain yeah. Um, I, I, I was I, telling Patty that I was in, uh, I think it was Tractor Supply, and um, the this couple was had their puppy, and it was a six-week-old pit bull. And the husband was talking to one of the Tractor Supply employees about, I want food that builds muscle and gets them really big, and, you know, and I'm sort of rolling my eyes, and the wife is holding this little puppy, and it had a prong collar on. It's six yes. weeks See, that's old. inappropriate. That is totally inappropriate. Totally. Yeah. But, you know, Tigger, I think that, like I said, I think any type of lead can be, can be misused if, if you're going to put something around their neck. I mean, even those slip leads that you're talking about, the ones you can get from the vet, I've had my um, bulldogs who are perfect, not leading. (laughs) Um, I've had them, I mean, they scare me a little bit. I, you know, with them, I go to the actual harness one because their shoulders are so big and, um, their cute little adorable fat-headed um, heads on their well, tiny for my heads. for my terrorist yeah um, my little terrier she goes mm-hmm. she used to go in a in a harness now she just goes she's gotten so good that she just goes in a collar and 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 a lead um, right and 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 that's another thing the thing I love about horse people is you can tell a horse person when when they go to their car and they get their dog out inevitably it's a lead shank. <laughs> Of course. Yes. Wait, there's actually leashes for dogs? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So who knew? This leads me to my question. I don't I don't know, have any idea where Patty was gonna go with this all I'm gonna hijack it for just a second. Okay, go. So where do each of you we'll let uh, Patty go first, where do you fall on the retractable dog leash fence? Where do you fall on that? Well, I'm so glad you brought that up. Um, you know, I used to be a very big fan of those. But I found, because I, um, through various different types of dogs, I think it depends on the type of dog. I don't own them anymore. I found that they were too detrimental to my kids if they were holding the dogs. And I also feel like you think that you have the dog where you need it to be. And if it takes off and then you lock it, I'd find that that can like pull the crap out of their neck. So I am going to say... Um, I, I don't own them anymore, so I'm on the side of not having them. I, I think a regular standard lead rope <laughs> for your for your chihuahua. Um, no, I think you know a proper dog leash where you know where the end of it is and you know where the dog is is far better than the retractable. How about you, Tigger? I can't stand them. Oh, I'm so surprised. I, yeah, yeah. I had my hand and, up the whole time. I know what Tigger and I, like. and, and you know what? I'll, I'll tell you why because. You aren't, you know, just like riding, when you have your reins in your hands, you are communicating with the horse's mouth. When you have that stupid plastic thing in your hand, there is no, it's not an extension of you going to the dog. But when you have a lead in your hand, whether it's leather or cotton or whatever, there you can be communicating messages just like you would with a rein. But with that plastic thing, and that tight nylon rope that's attached to the collar, there's no communication. 
Yeah. None. I never thought that's of a that, good point. Right. I hadn't yeah. thought of that either. That's a good point. Yeah, that's a good point. So let's talk about halters. And I leads. would love to. <laughs> let's okay. So let, okay. Let let's um, now. I'm gonna I'm gonna take I'm gonna hijack. I'm gonna ask you both your favorite halters. Okay, Jennifer, what's your favorite halter? What type? Um, and we're we're going to throw out the door the fact that certain halters aren't for used for tying and certain halters aren't Correct. used for shipping. Yada 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 yada. Right. Yada. To have Every, just a basic right. lead around halter. Like if you my, are going, uh, my everyday halter that I use to train horses with because every time you put the halter on and lead them somewhere, you're training them. Right. Is a dually halter. A dually. Yeah. What's a dually halter? A dually halter is a very specifically designed halter that has a rope nose piece. Okay. In addition to a regular nose piece. So it's shaped like a regular flat nylon halter. Oh. But but the the nose part of the nylon halter is mm-hmm. not Has- attached to those rings on the side. It's attached to the cheek pieces. And then there's huh. a rope that goes through the two rings. So gonna- it works a little bit as if you know how lots of po- folks put a chain over a horse's nose. You see that right, everywhere. Yeah. Good, bad, or otherwise, you see it everywhere. Well, if you have stallions, believe me, it's it's it it's a, really it's a yeah. thing. Yeah. yeah, you have to. Um, but it has that. It goes where a chain will go over the nose, but it's not a chain. It's a rope, so that the second that there is pressure released from the rope, it leaves the, relieves the pressure on the nose, and it has kind of a little twisty thing. It, it, they describe it as imagine this: your sock is twisted inside your boot when you pull. Okay. On it. Right, and I have one of those for our pony, and I've already ordered one for the horse, and I find it ever so useful because um, it can get the point, help me get the point across, so that when the horse feels pressure against the lead rope, he can come to it, release it. But I'm not going to damage his nose. I'm not going to hurt him. Um, so I love it. I, that's my kind of my everyday halter. Cool. Hmm. And, but is it a is it a breakaway? Because my big nope. thing is I, and, I always want to be able to breakaway. Specifically, should not be used for shipping. Okay. Um, because those rings on the sides where you would attach your lead rope stick out enough that they could get caught on stuff. Okay. Uh, so what we do is we have. Yeah, um, are you familiar with what a, a driving halter is? Or no. It's a, it's a head. They call them head collars in Europe, where okay. the the nose band has a buckle on the top. Oh yeah 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 oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 yeah. Well, what we yeah. do is we put the um halter around their neck and just leave that noseband undone, load them on the trailer, hook up the noseband, drop the dually out from underneath and tie them up so that we have two pieces. Because oh, both of our horses are naughty loaders, so they okay. wear their dualies to get loaded. Um, but we, we do not use them any to tie them in the trailer, and we don't tie them unattended wearing those. Interesting. Not at all. No. Okay. All right, Tig, what's your favorite halter? Leather. Yeah. I do like a good leather halter. I like a leather halter. I I like that it it will break if it, <laughs> if it yeah. needs to. Yeah. Um I think that they're nice on their skin. Nylon I think can rub and irritate. And um I don't know. I I'm just maybe I'm old fashioned or a traditionalist, but I I really like a leather halter. I I'm with you on that. I will tell you that I um um, that's my number one choice. And I will say, um, although they're sometimes hard and I've learned to understand the benefits of the rope halters, the full rope halters, um, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, you know, I, um, I had a horse a couple of years ago that needed to do some 
natural horsemanship and really learned to understand why they were such good halters. And then also learned the benefits of sometimes not having a breakaway halter when you have to teach a horse to understand the pressure and standing if they didn't understand yeah. that when they were young horses. So, um, so I'm going to say, I'm going to say first leather halter and then in the right circumstances, the rope halter. See, there's a halter for every need. Yeah, there really are. Yeah. And I think, yeah, I, I agree with you, Tigger, for, for how it feels on the horse's head. Mm-hmm. I love me a leather yeah. halter. Yeah. Unfortunately, yeah. When, when we turn our horses out, we take their halters off. Like I think yeah. a lot of people do. Yeah. We and do they too. they hang on the fence all yeah. day and they get baked in the sun and then rained sure. on and then baked in the sun and then rained on. We and have then you, taken yeah. out using cheapy nylon ones just because they, they die of rot down here. Oh, well, and, and we have oh, the same. Of course. The well, same you know what? You need Warhorse Tack <laughs> You're cleaning. You're right. Absolutely, Leather cleaner. We do. If you want, I'll call her because, you know, we're best friends. You know something, though? <laughs> the the Warhorse All-Purpose Cleaner will clean the nylon ones beautifully. Yeah. And, you know, the have nylon. Have you tried it on the nylon? I'm sorry? Have you tried it on the nylon? Not yet. I have, I had, I've gotten some of the leather cleaner and I cleaned my half chaps with it the other day. Fantastic. Oh, cool. Yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing stuff. Yeah. Oh, yeah. we're getting sidetracked. But anyway, so okay. nylon halters, leather halters, halters for training mm-hmm. for either Patty or Tigger. Is there a, is there a specific style or type of halter that you would never hang on a horse's head? I wouldn't do a complete nylon without breakaway um, leather headpiece. Yeah. Yeah. Headpiece. That's the only thing I would not put on a horse's head that, and I'm not real fond of the, um, serratas they use that, um, from Spain, <laughs> but other than that, there you go. Yep. Ta-da. So maybe, maybe next time, uh, the, the mood strikes, we can talk about, well, we will save lead ropes for another discussion. How's that? Perfect. I think that's perfect. perfect. Cool. Awesome. Thanks for listening, everyone, and thanks to our sponsor, Biostar US. You can find them online at biostarus.com. Get the Horse Radio Network phone app on iOS or Android by searching for Horse Radio Network in the App Store. It's free and easy to use. For details about today's show, go to healthycrittersradio.com, where you can find links, photos, and more information about our guests. As always, we love your feedback. Please follow us on Facebook under Healthy Critters Radio. Be sure to visit all the great shows on Horse Radio Network at horseradionetwork.com. Hug your dog. Love your horse. Feed your chickens. Clean the litter box. Dance with your goat. Slither with your snakes. Howl at the moon. Hang with your hamster. Party with your parrot. And waddle with your walrus. (laughs) 